This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We're going to look at a number of scriptures today, but I want to start with the verse that kicked off this whole series, Colossians 3.17. Because this verse just encapsulates all of life. Look at these words with me. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this verse and others, we pray today that you would speak to us, that you would help us to benefit from the gifts and tools you provide while never allowing them to control us or to shape us. We pray that you would shape us. And uh, Lord, so we pray today that as we look at these various topics, that you would speak to us, that you would help us, uh, that you would give us faith for how um, tools like social media can be used for your glory and your good. And then you would also alert us to areas where we could be um, unhelpfully, inappropriately affected by them. So Lord, help us, give us us a vision of the gospel and its centrality uh, as we think about ethics and application of technology. Lord, so speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that verse really speaks to us about that we just read is that when we become a Christian, not only are our sins forgiven, which is glorious, not only do we receive new life, not only does the Holy Spirit come to dwell in us, but we also receive a new Lord, a new master. And so, so the Lord Jesus says, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that, that, that all of life is to be lived for his glory. And that doesn't just mean church and Bible reading and witnessing to your coworker. Those things are all valuable, and we are to do those for the glory of God. But it means all of life, things like chores, things like your commute, things like your downtime, things like your sleep, the stuff we've been talking about in this series. And that includes even the stuff that sort of runs in the background of our lives, like social media. Now, I'm aware at the outset that not everybody here is on social media. You may not even be involved in social media at all. As a matter of fact, I had a leader before, uh, as we were prepping for Sunday, I had a leader before this service say to me, um, slightly smugly, but he said to me, I'm not even on social media. Do I even need to be there on Sunday? To which I responded, yes, you need to be there because there's a section of the sermon where I'm going to address self-righteousness and it's going to be wonderfully helpful for you. So please be there. And I'm thankful Tim is here today. And so, uh, and let us in worship full of joy, knowing what I was going to talk about. And uh, so thank you, Tim, for serving as an illustration for all of us. Uh, Tim's a dear friend. I'm joking. Uh, he, he really did say that, and I really did say that, but nonetheless, it was, it, it, um, loved him. So what if I'm not on it? I think there'll still be something very relevant here because you probably are on it and don't know it, uh, firstly. And then secondly, we'll address that in a second. Secondly, those around you are, most of the world is, or most of the U.S. is, uh, you're, if you have kids, your children, 
may be, will be. Uh, your grandkids, if you're older, will be, so, or are. So it's, it's a relevant topic for all of us. Let's start off with what, what are we talking about? Let me define social media. If you look in the Bible, do a search of the Bible under social media, uh, you ain't getting no hits, okay? Nothing's coming up under social media uh, in the Bible. But here's a reasonably helpful definition. Social media are web-based communication tools that enable people to interact with each other by both sharing and consuming information. Now, this is very helpful for a number of reasons. First of all, what we're talking about is not pen and paper or that sort of thing. We're talking about communicating socially uh, through the internet, uh, through apps, through websites. Uh, and it is, uh, it is communication. So it's web-based communication, the communication tools. Those are two important words, communication. It is sharing information, sharing images, uh, and it is interacting with others who have, sharing and consuming information. So it is a way to communicate, a way to connect through the technology of the Internet in social means. That's what social media is. And so there, therefore, when we think about that word communication and tools, we see there's two very important words that help us to think biblically. Communicate. Jesus, I mean, Paul wrote, whatever you do in word or deed, word is communication as are images. Whatever you communicate, so whatever you, however you're involved in social media, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's also a tool. A tool is something that's to be used for a purpose. Um, and, and we're not to be used by a tool. We are to use a tool for, uh, a me- as a means to an end. So there as well, I think it's a very good definition that helps us sort of uh, get, get into this, a little weight into this topic. Okay, so how big, some of you are still going, are we really going to have a whole sermon on this? I've never preached a sermon on this. But are we going to really have a whole sermon on this? Yes, because social media saturates our daily lives. It is ubiquitous. And it's also everywhere. Here, uh, here, let me tell you, here are a few of the sites, top sites. Maybe you've heard of some of these, uh, of, of social media um, and, and their usage. The first one is Facebook. Anybody heard of that? Two billion humans on the planet. Over two billion humans are on Facebook. Uh, 70% of Facebook users are on it daily. So that'd be about 1.4, a little more, 1.4 billion people are daily on Facebook. The average Facebook user is on for 50 minutes a day. So whether it's great, whether it's God's gift to humanity or whether it's terrible, that's irrelevant at this point. It's just everywhere. 50 minutes a day, the average Facebook user is on. Now, I doubt there's one person in this room, and there may be one, but I doubt there's anybody in this room that exercises, that works out 50 minutes a day, seven days a week without a break. Seven days a week, 50 minutes a day. I doubt there's a person in the room that seven days a week spends 50 minutes in prayer and scripture and devotions every day of the week. I doubt there's a man in the room that spends 50 minutes a day on hygiene and grooming a day. I I can tell I'm looking at you. (laughs) Most of us don't. I doubt there's a middle school boy in the room that spends 50 minutes a month on personal hygiene. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. So think about that. I doubt there's many of us that spend 50 minutes a day eating. We grab coffee or a bowl of cereal or yogurt quick for breakfast. 
We wolf down lunch at our desk, or maybe you got little kids at home and it's just, oh, you got the toddler setting down for a minute. I've got like five minutes to eat. And then we sit down and have a 30 minute dinner with the family at night. And easily we could say that we probably don't spend 50 minutes a day eating. And Facebook is just one social media app. So is it significant? Is it a big deal? I, I think most of us spend more time, we're on Facebook, spend more time on that than we do eating, devotions, exercise, or at least for men, grooming. So I think it's significant. Now, maybe you, you, you sway those stats in some area. I'm just talking generally. The second biggest um, social media platform is YouTube. 1.5 million, bill, I'm sorry, 1.5 billion people in the world are on YouTube. Uh, and it's a social media platform because it's information that is shared and consumed. So people upload videos. You can follow people. You can comment on what they post. It's a social media platform. And that's why most all of us are on social media, whether we recognize it or not. If you've never been on YouTube, then maybe you're not on social media, but most of us have. Instagram is the third biggest platform. 700 uh, million people use that. Twitter's next, 328 million. The next biggest social media platform is Reddit, 250 million. Then Pinterest, 175 million. Then it goes down, uh, Snapchat, 166 million. And just in case you've escaped so far, maybe you are on social media. If you are on LinkedIn, that is 116 million people. So uh, many folks are involved in some form of social media. Here's a breakdown by age in the U.S. So the percentage of adults who use social media, this is taking YouTube out. So this is just Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you're 18 to 29, 86% are on social media. Now I'd call 90% everybody. So we're just on, you know, give or take, we're just about at everybody in 18 to 29, 30 to 49 year olds, 80%, um, are on social media, 50 to 64 year olds, 64%. And then if you're over 65, about a third of folks over 65 are on some social media. So we often think that social media is just young people, um, but as we see, or even teenagers, but as we see, look at the numbers there between folks who are 18 and 49, which is certainly not teenagers. You know, if you average that out, it's about eight, uh, you know, I don't know if the numbers would match exactly, but averaging those two is about 83%. So pretty, pretty amazing. Um, how about teenagers? I don't know how many are totally on. I read one stat that wasn't well supported. said 90% have been on at some level. But of every teen in America aged 13 to 17, 76% are active on Instagram. So that means three quarters of all teenagers are on Instagram. Equally, a, point, a percentage different, three quarters are, are on Snapchat. The average Snapchat user checks Snapchat 18 times a day. That's the average, 18 times a day. And it may not be on there for very long. Uh, I think the average usage is about 30 minutes a day. But, it, uh, but it's 18 times a day is how often we check. Facebook, this surprised me. I wanted to question this. It was from a very legitimate source, maybe Pew Research. I can't remember. But I, was, I, I did not know teenagers were still on Facebook. So two-thirds of teenagers are on What are you guys doing on Facebook? Like liking grandma's status or something? I don't know why teenagers are on Facebook, but they are, I hear, a lot. And then a little bit less than half are on Twitter. So it's a significant part of our culture investing a significant amount of time on social media. Now, before I go any further and develop my talk today, 
and line out the outline for this sermon, I, I think it'd be helpful for me to just put my cards on the table and say, I'm on social media. So that is, um, you know, that's important for you to know that I'm not coming as one who doesn't partake. Uh, I am on social media, a couple of platforms, uh, or three or so I'm on. Uh, and I was thinking about, I want to say this at the beginning, I have benefited a ton from social media, a ton. I mean, it is a communication tool and I have benefited from the communication that I've received. I just thought recently in the last five years, most of the books that I have read have all come from recommendations on social media for someone that I follow that I respect and trust their discernment and their teaching. Oftentimes it's a teacher or somebody like that. Most of my books, I don't know how I found books. I don't know how I even know what to read before social media. So that's where I get all my book recommendations. I was thinking about how many times I've clicked on a link and read a thoughtful, helpful piece on theology or culture or politics or world events. Humor, a lot of my daily humor and yours as well, a lot of my laughs can be through something that maybe went uh, viral or some kind of funny video or something like that that was passed along on social media. News, it's my primary source of finding news stories. If somebody puts out something, a link to a news story in a, in a periodical, in a newspaper or something like that, uh, th- that's how I find my news. I was thinking about areas that I've learned in. One area that has been really helpful for me, probably the area of all the areas that maybe I've learned the most in, um, and I've still got a ton to learn, would be on the topic of uh, racial reconciliation. I follow a number of woke folk uh, on, on social media who communicate a number of, I follow a number of black pastors, theologians, teachers, uh, who describe biblic, bring biblical teaching and description of the African-American experience in our culture. So I found that super helpful. And, and, and probably before social media, I was extremely ignorant. Now I'm slightly ignorant. I'm pretty ignorant, but I'm moving towards slightly ignorant and growing and learning all I can, obviously primarily through friends as well. But, but that social media has been very helpful for me there. So it's a gift. It's a gift to communicate. I've been able to kept, keep up with friends. I'll be able to know what's happening in other people's lives, family, people I grew up with, whatever it is. So I've been able to connect with other people, uh, which is tremendous. It's just a tremendous gift uh, is social media. However, so you heard everything I said, right? Because you need to remember that. I'm going to come to it at the end of the message. But we should not be engulfed with a new technology without discerning and asking some very good questions about it. So author Flannery O'Connor has this quote that I just love. She said, push as hard as the age that pushes against you. I put that out on social media two days ago, but she said, push as hard as the age that pushes against you. We are in an age that will forever push against us, that will ever catch us up in a river that we can just flow down without asking questions or we can ask questions about it. And I think we need to be discerning about social media. And so really I have two points that I want to talk about on social media today. Here's the first one. We need to be discerning because social media is not real life. Second point, we need to be discerning because social media is real life. So two points, it's not real life. And so we need to be discerning. It is real life. And so we need to be discerning. Let me start with social media isn't real life. And here's the first idea I want to bring. And that is this, that social media can easily become a substitute 
for real relationships. It can become a substitute for real relationships. Now, I want you to think back to, we've talked about this in a number of the sessions, a number of the sermons in this series. I want you to think back to creation and think about God creating Adam and Eve, that he created physical bodies that he said were good, and he placed them in a physical garden to do physical work. We talked a lot about that in the sermon on work. He put them in a physical garden, physical. They were embodied persons put in a physical environment to engage, to work, to extend a cultural mandate, to rule over God's creation, to, to, uh, to steward God's creation and to relate with one another. He gave them physical and gives us physical presence. So God is about physical presence. God is about the body. God is not a dualist. God is not a Greek philosopher teaching that matter is bad and spirit is good. No, God says body and physical and presence is good. As a matter of fact, he will, Christ will return and we will be resurrected into bodies, not, not spiritual, invisible uh, persons, but bodies, physical bodies, spiritual bodies in a new heavens and a new earth. So even our eternity will be an embodied existence. When God wanted to give the greatest revelation he could of himself, he could have revealed himself in many ways. He could have done it by just writing in the sky, I love you, signed God. You know, he could have just given everybody a, a instant thought that everybody knew who Jesus was and what sin is. He could have just communicated to our minds or something. But what did God do when he wanted to reveal himself ultimately? He incarnated. He took on flesh. He was embodied. Jesus Christ, the God man came and physically took our sins upon himself on the cross, physically died and was buried and was raised on the third day to defeat our sins. That God is embodied himself in the son, that the second person of the triune God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are embodied people, generally, the most meaningful relationships and the most genuine community will include embodied personal presence. Embodied personal presence. Now, at one level, uh, social media is not new. And the idea of connecting with people without physical presence is not new. People have been writing letters. Our New Testament is filled with letters. So people have written letters to connect. Uh, people have talked on the phone. Do you remember, do you remember that? They're like, you can make a phone call on this. I don't know if you knew this. If you're young, you may not know this, but you could actually talk to someone. So we used to connect by telephone with people. So the idea of connecting when we're not present is not new with social media. What's new with social media is a redefinition of what a friend is. It's a redefinition of what it means to follow someone, that you can follow someone without ever meeting them or knowing them or having personal, physical uh, relationship, connection with them. And, the, and that can, that's not necessarily, those things are not necessarily bad, but the temptation is that some of us can substitute social media community for real human community. And when it becomes a substitute, or I would say when it becomes a preference to real life, then it is dangerous. 
when we don't want to connect with embodied presence, when we don't want to build relationship or friendship, or when we falsely assume that we're deeply connected relationally because of the number of friends we have in social media and yet lack personal presence communication. That's a problem. I think that's a problem theologically that goes against the very nature of our creation. And this is in the Bible, by the way. There is a difference in connecting personally rather than connecting at a, dis- at a distance. And we see that in the Apostle John. The Apostle John wrote three letters. He wrote the gospel, but then he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And this is what he said in 2 John verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. He's saying, and and he meant it. That whole letter has 13 verses. It's the second shortest book of the Bible. So he meant it. I'd much rather talk face to face. And so, man, here's, here's like, this is really short. But do you realize he is writing the very word of God? He's writing inerrant truth. The Holy Spirit is empowering him to communicate. What he says is equally powerful in terms of its nature in truth. However, there are problems to the people he's writing about. There are, there are, there are theological misunderstandings and some false doctrine. And he's basically saying, because of that, I'm not going off on a Facebook rant to set everybody set doctrinally. I'd much rather sit down face to face because when we're face to face, our joy will be complete. There is a joy in distant communication, but there is a completion of joy that happens when we are personally together that cannot happen virtually. Uh, think about this. When you're with a person, your voice, your tone, how much is misunderstood through emails, texts, social media posts because of tone alone? Oh, if I could have heard the tone of their voice, I would have understood. But tone, eye contact, facial countenance, these are ways that God has given us to communicate. Touch, that is a means of communication. Okay, you can do the emoji of like a hug or something, but it's just, it doesn't count the same. It doesn't count the same. Body language, I mentioned that. Sometimes just presence, I was thinking about sometimes the most powerful presence is just sitting together and not saying anything. So like when I'm not on social media, not connecting with anybody, I'm not like, wow, I have the presence of all those followers on Twitter. I just, man, I'm kind of there. I don't ever think about that. But sometimes take a grieving person, someone who's lost someone and someone's died or they've just gotten a diagnosis. So you have terminal cancer, something like that. Sometimes the most powerful thing can be just to be, not say a word. There's no answers. You can't, you can't fix that. Just to sit quietly with embodied presence. So that's powerful. How about laughing together? Laughing together. I mean, I can send the emoji with the tear running down. I can type LOL. Do we still do that? But, uh, you know, but it's not the same as belly laughing together or crying together. See, there's something about, I can't wait to be with you because when we're face to face, there's an encounter that is different. It's fundamentally different. I'm going to write you a letter. There's nothing wrong with that. God's using it. God called him to. But, but there's something different about human presence that brings joy that can only be found in live engagement and in personal fellowship. 
Listen, social media is at its best when it connects people that otherwise it would be impossible to connect. So when you're connected with someone who's across the globe or your family and they're posting pictures or you see, you know, what your mom has put on Pinterest or whatever it is, there's, there's a connection. Oh, you go on LinkedIn and here's a guy I went to college with and what's he doing? I mean, there is a connection that, and, and, and social media is helpful to help us know people and know about people when we couldn't just sit down and talk to them. Social media is at its best when it enhances real relationship. So you come in on Sunday morning and go, Hey, I saw you got a job. How do you know that? Because they put it on Facebook. So you come up, hey, I saw you got a job. Congratulations. I'm excited. So instantly, I don't have to say what's up. We're just connected. There's a connection. And what you put on social media is an enhancement to our physical relationship. The problem is when it becomes a substitute, when we minimize interaction with people while still feeling connected, when we substitute and avoid personal presence. Listen, the Bible is filled. The New Testament is filled with commands to fulfill one another's, serve one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens. And that can be accomplished to a degree in social media, but they cannot fully be accomplished without presence. Bear one another's burdens. You can't get on Facebook and like watch a Facebook live stream of someone moving and feel like you're helping them and really contributing to that. (laughs) Hey, I'll watch the stream, okay? No, get over here and help us lift the fridge. That's what we need help with right now. It's great when someone comments, oh, I'm sorry. As I said earlier, I'm sorry to hear of your loss. It's totally different when they're sitting in the room weeping with you. I believe it's great to say, hey, I heard your need and I prayed for you. That's good. But if I'm in no context with people in my small group, I just post my, if I just post my, my prayer requests and I never need to be with someone to follow up and how are you doing in personal, I can't fulfill the one another's through social media alone. But it can be a good tool to enhance real relationships. Where it's dangerous is where it's a substitute or gives a false sense of connectedness. Number two, it distracts from real relationships. Social media is not real life, ultimately, and it can distract from real life. It's kind of interesting I'm talking about this today because this week, I think Tuesday, is the announcement of the 10th anniversary iPhone. And there will be much worship breaking out all over the planet this week. The 10th anniversary iPhone. And there's a lot, or if you use a different phone, that's okay. You can be a Christian too. But there, there's, a lot, there's a lot to thank God about for the technology. I thank God for the technology that is provided here. But in so many ways, it's been helpful. But I was sobered by a quote from Andy Crouch who talked about the introduction of the iPhone in 2007 and the 10th anniversary phone, which is supposedly going to cost a lot of money, I don't know, in 2017, this is what he said. An awful lot of children born in 2007, turning 10 years old this year, have been competing with their parents' screens for attention their whole lives. I thought, yeah, that is... That is true. 
That is true. That's not a technology problem. That's a heart problem. But technology allows us to be distracted from real relationships. Um, Think about family life alone. If you're in a family, think about family life alone here. Deuteronomy 6 is a powerful Old Testament chapter which talks about how the faith is to be passed on from one generation to the next, how the truth of what God has done in the Scriptures is to be passed on. And while we would fully endorse and support, as would the Scripture, formal times of training like praying at bedtime, like reading Bible stories with young kids or having a Bible study with an older kid, like having a family devotional around the dinner table. All of that is really, really valuable and important. But Deuteronomy 6 talks about discipleship in fundamentally an all-of-life kind of category. It says this, you shall teach them, your children, diligently. You shall t- I'm sorry, you to teach them, that means the Word of God, the statutes of God, diligently to your children. And, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. It's beautiful. What he's saying is it's not like we just need to have, you know, it, we never talk about God except in a formal moment. He doesn't say that. He said it's a lifestyle. Parenting is a lifestyle that in all of life, it's something we just talk to as we're going. Hey, a teachable moment, sharing something from the scripture, sharing something I know to be true about God, equipping with discernment and how to understand life and how to love others and love the Lord while you walk, while you sit in your house, while you, uh, when you lie down at bedtime, when you get up in the morning. And the reality is smartphones make this tremendously difficult. Not just social media. Think about your phone and what is in your phone. Think about all that is in here. Texts, email, Google. You can answer anything. You can get the answer to anything. You can just speak into your phone and ask Siri. I don't know what the other names of the other people are that do it on the other phones, but Siri or whatever whatever the Google phone or the uh, Android does, you, you could just <clears throat> talk and, and they'll give you the answers. You can read books. You can play games. Your music is on here. You can take an entire library of music with you. You can read news. You can get the weather, the stocks, sports. Your maps are in here. You can follow GPS maps. And the map I use is social media. I mean, I'm looking at a map going along, and it's Waze is what I use. And it's telling me, hey, there's other Wazers on the other side of the street. Give them a wave. I don't want to wave to some, what, what do you, give them a little digital waiver. I mean, it's insane. I can't even get from point A to point B without building relationship on the tollway. (laughs) But all of my maps are in here. All of your photos and videos. You could be sitting with your family and ignoring them and looking at their pictures, scrolling through. It's a distraction. The phone and social media in particular can be a distraction from real relationships. That's my point. Study says we check our phones every 4.3 minutes. And that's helpful. If you're driving and you've got your app, okay, you better be looking and checking where am I going. That's going to be every three minutes. But every four to three minutes, I'm sorry, every 4.3 minutes, every 4.3 minutes, that's 81,500 times a year. 81,500 times a year. Okay, that's it. It's just looking. It's just checking nonstop. And that is a distraction from real relationships. I mean, there'd be a time you could see people at a meal and everybody's looking at their phone and everybody's around the table. Everybody's got a phone. Whoa. 
You know, everybody's just stuck there. Or you could be at a park. Let's go to a park and get some fresh air. Everybody's got their phone out at the park. They're going to take pictures to post, you know. Wait, wait, hold on. Let's, let's don't experience this. Let's just take a picture of it. And let's post it. Someone is checking their phone. It leads to an isolation that separates us from others at times. I had a profound, this event, I, this week, I experienced some profound human suffering. Um, I spent two and a half hours at the DMV. And I was in a room, I was in a room, I counted the chairs, I was in a room with 200 people and there was a line of people outside waiting to get in, 200 people. And, uh, I was working on this sermon. So I was productive. I was actually typing the sermon. So I'm looking at a screen all the time. And at one point while I'm on this topic, I just looked up and everyone, I saw one guy with a physical book. He was sitting a couple, he looked like a college student sitting next to me. But everybody was like this in the whole place. And some people had an earbud. So that's like, really leave me alone. This communicates, I want to isolate and leave me alone. And we've all met that stranger in public that is like the over talker. And okay, like we're probably not going to be best buds and go like on a backpacking trip together. So let's don't even start talking. But we've all met that person that's like, is too friendly or whatever a little bit. But but the reality is 20 years ago, there would have been some people with a newspaper. There'd have been some people with a magazine. Maybe somebody would have had a Walkman listening to some music or something 30 years ago. I don't know. But there would have been people actually talking to one another. There would have been people actually having an, a, a real life interaction, meeting someone, finding out about someone's life or something. But now it's, it's, we isolate. And so Ranke said, says in his book, this is helpful. The smartphone is causing a social reversal, the desire to be alone in public and never alone in seclusion. So when you look around in public, there are people everywhere, don't talk to me. I am, I am alone here oftentimes on social media, not always. And when I'm alone, I can't be alone. I can't be in silence. This is driving me crazy. I have to find out what's going on in the world. What's happening? What is, what's, what's interesting? I need entertainment. I need stimulation. Studies have been done that every time you get a notice on your phone, when there's a notice of some sort that there's a message, there's a text, there is a, there, or a, a notification for social media that there, is, that there is a release of serotonin in the brain, which is the neurotransmitter, which brings happiness or pleasure, something like that. And so we're actually physically trained to, boom, I, I, I'm getting a little charge here. And if there's nothing, I need to get it on and to look. It can distract us from real relationships. Secondarily, it can it make it difficult just to be alone sometimes because we have to have constant stimulus. So social media is not real life. It can become a substitute for real relationships. It can distract us from real relationships. And I would say lastly, it can block real relationships. And what I mean by block is that word means to obstruct development or to hinder progress. It can hinder real relational growth with people in real life. And here's what I mean. Real relationships are built on trust. They are built on truth. They're being, they're built on being known for who you really are. The closest relationships that you have, that I have are with people who know what I'm really like, who I really am. And they still love me. They still want to be with me. They're still my friend. They still encourage me. So real relationship is based on being who you are and known for who you are. The temptation in social media is to portray an edited version of who you are. 
Social media is not designed, which is fine, but it's not designed and we don't use it to primarily connect in that kind of a personal way, to be known for who we are. We are rather seeking to communicate an image. And even when it's like, I'm just putting this out there. I'm just putting this out there. I'm just random. I'm just speaking my mind. Then why did you read that sentence four times to see how it came out and edited it before you pushed it, put it out there? I'm just showing you what my real life is in this picture. Yeah, but you took six of them and just selected the best one. So we even in our reality posts, just getting this off my chest, no filtered, there's still a filter on the photo and a filter on the words oftenly, often. And so what we put out there is edited. It's edited. We took 10 pictures and selected the best of our perfect date, of our perfect workout, of our perfect children, of our perfect quiet time with journal open and coffee and open Bible right there, wrapped in an Afghan with the fire burning, just me and, you know, hashtag just me and Jesus. So what comes out in social media, it's crafted to project our best thoughts and to project our best moments And most of us hide our real difficulties. We hide our insecurities. We hide our fears and burdens. Social media doesn't display a balance of who you really are. If I want to know who you really are, if you want to know who I really am, just hook up a video camera in my home and let it run and just let me not know it and just stream my life to you or in my office. Or if you want to do that, know who I really am. It doesn't display a balance, nor should it. I'm not saying get out there and just be raw and real and put stuff. That's not for public consumption. There are things about us really that just need to be shared with if you're married, your spouse, or a small group of Christian friends who know you and love you. If you're a young person, your parents, uh, the people in your small group. There's certain things that don't need to be broadcasted. They shouldn't be broadcast. You shouldn't overshare on social media. So I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that what happens is because social media doesn't foster transparency from me or those who relate to me, it makes real relationships difficult because through social media, you don't grant relational accessibility to others. You grant an image of yourself that you want to communicate to them. Here's a quote from Nathan Bingham about this that that says it better than I'm saying it right now. He says, social media has become a mask for many deep scars. The smiling teen on Instagram is secretly suicidal. The happy couple enjoying date night is considering a divorce. The ardent defender of orthodoxy in Facebook comments hasn't read his Bible or prayed in weeks. Although it's no excuse for breaking the ninth commandment, which is you should not bear false witness. So he's saying, although it is no excuse for lying, how does a suicidal teen approach their family, friends, or church with the truth of their pain when all they see from those around them is a world of magic moments? How does a couple considering divorce ask for help when all their friends' marriages are perfect? Surely they couldn't relate. And no other Christian ever struggles with prayerlessness, right? Our social media lives not only isolate those who are suffering, they deny the reality of our fallen world. And without a fallen world, 
Where's the need for a savior? It's well said. I'm not saying put your worst moments. I'm not saying use Snapchat as a confessional for all of your sins or anything like that. All I'm saying is that if we're going to build real relationships, there has to be a walking in the light and there has to be that that creates passport, trust, and accessibility in relationships. This is what 1 John 1 says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his truth is not in us. Genuine fellowship, genuine relationship comes from walking in the light. And the way we can walk in the light and be known for who we are is to be secure in what Christ has done for us, that he died for our sins, that he has forgiven our sins, that he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. So there's nothing you could know about me personally that would be worse than what Jesus knows about me. And the Bible says, yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Many of us can draw our identity between how many likes did I get on this? How many shares or retweets on that? What were the comments that people thought about what I put out there? And the reality is that we only find real identity in being real. And that comes from being rooted in Christ and what he's done for us in the gospel. And then transferring that to some meaningful in-person relationships. Social media is not real. It could be a substitute for relationship. Uh, It can distract us from relationship. It can hinder relationship because non-reality doesn't elicit people asking for help in our lives. Here's the last point, and this will be super brief. Social media is real life. Social media is fundamentally a communication tool. So all scriptures that talk about communication apply. Take any verse that talks about communicating. We read Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed. Word, or we could say image as well, pictures. Whatever you do in word or deed, dwell in the name of the Lord Jesus. So think about that. Any verse that communicates about communication is relevant to social media. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth tweets. He didn't really say that. He said the mouth speaks, but the same is true. So whatever the Bible says about gossip, whatever it says about slander, whatever it says about angry and impatient communication, all applies. Whatever it applies to being snarky in person and rude in person, love is not rude. Whatever it says about being rude to people face-to-face applies in social media. Social media is the real life, friends. What goes forth there affects people. So it can be a tool of great good, or great harm. Think about Ephesians 4.29. This is a powerful verse talking about how we can use social media with our, as our speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Corrupting talk, the word means decaying. He's saying there's certain kind of words when you toss out there, they bring slow death to people. And he's saying there's certain kind of words that you throw out there and it builds them up. It's appropriate. It fits the occasion. It's the right word in right season, like apples of gold. It builds people up that it may give grace to those who hear. So you can actually give grace and strength or you can corrode and tear down with your talk is what he says here. 
And also, it not only affects others, but it grieves the spirit. When I tear you down with my speech, it, 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 it grieves the spirit of God. So we live in an unprecedented age. Because right now, I can go online to someone and say, you're a jerk. I would never say that in real life in front of a crowd. So I would never in here go, hey, you're a jerk. Because then you go, wow, that pastor's a jerk, you know. So, but I can just put it online and I might, depending on how many friends I have, depending on how many connections, how many followers, I could be communicating with a way bigger group than this room. I could be saying it to way more people. So the damaging effects are much greater, but so are the good effects. Ray Ortland said, with social media, we can now harm and embarrass and stigmatize people with greater force than ever before in human history. Self-restraint has never been more important. <clears throat> I agree. But so there's never been an opportunity to do good like there is now. You could speak to one person. You could speak to five people in your living room. You could speak to a room of people. But now you can speak and in, in give grace to a much broader audience. I saw this this week. I was on a social media app, which is an app that connects neighborhoods. I don't know if you're on this one, but it connects different neighborhoods together. So I'm connected to a bunch of neighborhoods and it's mostly a place to sell an old sofa that you would never sit on, but someone else might want to, or to, you know, to announce this thing's happening or, <clears throat> you know, to say, Hey, here's to give some kind of information. Sometimes it's used for safety. We had a break in, in our neighborhood, everybody beware, lock your doors, etc. that kind of stuff. So it's got some good uses, but occasionally, <clears throat> wow, humanity slips out all over the place. And so this last week, someone got on there and revealed a situation that happened on a school bus. So they said, okay, kids were riding home from school, from this middle school, they were going home and then described in some detail about what happened on the bus. And it was bad. Kids were yelling out cuss words. And then a couple of kids got into a physical fight on the bus. The bus driver pulled over, called the cops. Cops came out and sorted out the situation. Okay, bad stuff, right? So rather than maybe go to the school, if your kid's on that bus and ask, hey, is there a bus monitor? Can we keep the bus safe? What's going on? Rather than going to the administration, you could go to social media. So somebody went to social media and then it was sharks on chum. It was a pile on where people just began to say, that's the problem in this country. This is a, this is a failure of parenting. Where are those parents, you know, critiquing the parent? They don't know what happened. They don't know the details. They've heard one person's report. They don't know who's involved. But, oh, kids today, they are so, in my day, we could, if my kid had done that, people are saying this. If my kid had done that, in my day we did that. And then somebody always pulls this card. Somebody goes, liberal media. It's the liberal media that's trained. I'm like, really? I mean, really? I mean, people were cussing and throwing fists before CNN was around. Can we just establish that if they're the liberal media, some would say. So at any rate, uh, you know, they're, they're people just piling on and really critiquing it. At one point, one of the moms gets on there and said, I'm a really good parent, but my kid was involved in this situation. And I... I've taught my kid. I mean, really, did that mom say, when you get on the bus today, use every bad word you can. And then just for fun, why don't you slug somebody? I mean, no mom taught their kid that. <laughs> no mom taught their kid that. And so she's being publicly shamed. The kids that nobody knows are being publicly shamed about a story that who knows how accurate it is. And then all of a sudden, after this lady comes on there and bears her heart a little bit, I mean, she had been shamed. Somebody gets on there and says this. 
She calls her by name, the mom. She calls the mom by name. She says, I'll call her ma'am. Ma'am, while I don't know all the details of what went on, I'm sorry that you feel judged. And I think all, capital A-L-L, I think all of us understand that parenting is very challenging while also a blessed responsibility. Sorry for your pain. And please know that I lift prayers of strength and peace over you. May this experience serve as a good learning experience for your child and all, A-L-L, caps, all the children involved. Hang in there. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. May we all as parents wisely guide our children and love them through the incredibly difficult years of junior high heart emoji. I don't know what went on. I don't know what happened in the story. All I know, all I know is that some mom felt exposed and judged by people who didn't even know the whole story, perhaps. And somebody else took Ephesians 4.29 and said, I'm going to be a minister of grace. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to bring encouragement. Are there problems? Yes. Does the school and the police? Yes. I'm not saying it doesn't need to be. I'm not a, yes, there's a big problem. It needs to be dealt with through human channels face to face with the school. But once it got out of hand, this lady comes and expresses love. That's powerful. There are opportunities to build people up all over the place. Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. In the social media age, that can be done exponentially beyond what it ever could have been done before. Show honor, encourage, bless. Application. Wow, I'm out of time. Okay, it's going to be a really quick application. Excuse me. Number one, if you are not on social media, you should consider it. Consider it. I didn't say you should be on. You should consider it. There are many wonderful ways to learn and to glorify God and to serve others. And so I've been very critical and I've I've, I've tried to be discerning about downfalls. But I also want to say never before is there an opportunity to verbally, without presence, I understand, but do good to people, to encourage people, to even get the gospel out. Some of us say, I, I I don't really want to have anything to do with that. And that's fine. If you have struggled with it, it's been an idol in your life, don't get on it. If, it's a, if you've been challenged to compare yourself and been depressed and anxious, don't get on it. But if you've never been on it, you might, should, consider it. I, re- I read this quote, most surprising quote by John Piper I've ever read. Maybe you say, hey, I love John Piper. He probably doesn't do social media. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry to burst that bubble. But he does, and this is what he said in the book, How Our Phones Are Affecting Us or Changing Us. Tony Ranke interviewed him. And it says, at the end of the interview, he looked down at his laptop, his iPad, and his iPhone. This is a theologian, a pastor, big-time church leader guy who's known for being pretty radical in his teaching and lifestyle. He looked down at his laptop, his iPad, and his iPhone sitting on the table, and he said, I could almost come to tears over how precious they are to me. Yes, they're glowing tools made mostly by men and women who are not submitted to God, he reiterated, and they're tools that open up his life to a thousand convenient temptations, but used with care and discipline. The digital tools are, he said, quote, a treasure chest of the glories of God. 
I had somebody come up to me after the first service and said, I'm involved in training people uh, in the Muslim world. How do you use social media to break into places that could never be broken into to get the gospel out and share the love of Jesus with people? That's what Piper means here. He's saying that I can magnify the glory of God for the joy of all people through the message of the gospel in a way I never could have before. So you may not be an evangelist like that, but you can still do good and share your witness. If you are on, ask, how can I do this to love God and love others? What does it mean to honor the Lord? What does it mean to serve others through my social media? I mean, some of us are so stingy. We would never pay a compliment in person. We'd never do a like or make a comment. I just think we need to be liberal in our encouragement. You can't be encouraging enough to people. Everybody is burdened and walking with all kinds of stuff. And I don't know their motive for posting it. Maybe they're just craving attention. I don't know. But there's a time just to click like, click like, comment. Hey, thank you. Whoa, your one-year-old does look so cute. You know, hey, I'm, so, I'm praying for that. I hear, oh, you got an interview. I'm praying for you. <clears throat> Looks like a great time you're having on vacation. What? I don't know. But something that's just encouraging. Number three, control your social media. Don't let it control you. I didn't know how big this was in my own life until I took a break. I went on vacation in July. I said, I'm going to get off social media for a week. I would not have said I'm a big social media guy. I'm on it, but took a break for a week. The first day I was having withdrawals. The first day I was like every four minutes. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not checking that. Oh, yeah, I'm not doing that. On, on. So by the end of the week, I was like, I may never go back. I mean, I was so like there was this freedom I'd never had. So I went back this last week because I took about 60 days. And I don't mean to be the obnoxious guy that just lost weight and is telling everybody about it and like, oh, do we really need to hear that? Or I don't want to be that guy. And I'm not bragging at all because it's sad that I didn't know how hooked I was. So now I've reentered. I had to get back on this week to find a sermon illustration or two, obviously. So I got back on and I'm on, but I'm using it in a very different way. I'm not allowing it to control me. I'm seeking to control it. Here's the last point. So try to control. And if, you, the, if the thought of taking a week off goes, whoa, yeah, it's kind of got a little shiver when you said that. You need to take a week off. I challenge you. If you can't think, oh, it, it wouldn't bother me at all. Man, what are you? You're like a weakling. This guy's a, you're our pastor and you've got that kind of pathetic kind of addictions in your life. Yeah, it was a big deal for me. Yeah, it was. So if it's not a big deal for you, why don't you just take a week off and let's see how that goes. Let me know. If it is a big deal, you have to take a week off. Seriously, seriously, take a week off. See what happens. Lastly, take virtual temptation and sin and bring it into the real world. I can really struggle with things I see on social media sometimes. It brings out my real heart. So I'll look at something. I'll be so self-righteous. How could they have posted that? How could they have think? I thought they were a Christian. What is going? Give me. Are you serious? Did they really say that? Well, let me read it. That is ugly. There's times I've judged people. I've been jealous of people. Oh, I'm comparing myself. And I've had to go to someone, a real friend, like in real life and say, could you pray for me, man? I'm really struggling. I'm judging someone. I'm looking down upon them. I'm thinking ill of them. Maybe it's someone I don't even know, just someone politically or out in the world or whatever. I just gotta, we gotta guard our hearts. Maybe you're tempted to lust or greed. Maybe you shouldn't be on social media if, if those things are coming up. But also when things do come up, Talk in real life. Get some help. The gospel rescues us and the gospel empowers us. And communication is a tool for good. If the Lord is calling you, if you think I should be involved in that, and maybe you shouldn't. But if you should, ask the Lord, how can you use it for good, for the glory of God and the good of others? And may none of us be controlled by a tool 
May we use it for God's glory. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.